guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Good morning, City Light Church. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? Waking up. Thank you for being here this morning. My name is Phil, one of the pastors here. Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for coming in the midst of the winter apocalypse. It seems like every weekend we have more and more snow, but you guys are here, and it is a joy of mine to preach to you the Word of God this morning, and an even greater joy to celebrate baptisms this morning as young and old go public with their faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, we have people getting baptized from the ages of 6 to 79. Like, that's incredible. You can clap for that. It's, it's incredible. I have, uh, I have four daughters, so I do live in a sorority, and it's a lot of fun. But I had the privilege and joy of baptizing my oldest daughter two years ago, and I have the privilege of baptizing my nine-year-old daughter who's sitting out front here, uh, Anna. And so it's going to be awesome. It's a great joy of mine, one of the greatest joys as a father to see your kids uh, trust in Jesus Christ and go public with their faith. So, um, but before we get there, uh, open up your Bibles. We're going to go to our Bibles first. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 10. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen. And I have to preface this sermon just by acknowledging that this is not a sermon that's directly about baptism. But as we go through this text, you will see a very clear connection there. But I want to start by sharing a story of a time when I was uh, afraid. Has anybody else been afraid before? Okay, we've got like three people that have been afraid before. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not talking about uh, being afraid of spiders or heights or enclosed spaces or getting in a car accident on icy roads. Like those are really valid fears. But this morning I'm talking about the fears that you have when you, when you know, when you know that God is leading you and directing you to do something that requires faith, that requires you to take risks, that requires you to get uncomfortable. Maybe it's you knowing that you need to share the gospel with a, a coworker, or maybe you feel led into full-time vocational ministry. I don't know what it is for you, but uh, my wife and I got married in college, and I got uh, a degree uh, in civil engineering from New Mexico State. And as a college student, um, full-time vocational ministry was something that I had really considered. And in fact, before I even met my wife, I was a sophomore in college, and I already had pledged a year of my life uh, it's a full-time ministry. It was 2003. I went to a conference with Campus Crusade for Christ. And I remember so vividly, I was in a room with a thousand other college students in downtown Denver. And the speaker was really challenging everybody, can, everybody to consider what would it look like for you to pledge one year of your life to full-time vocational ministry. And in that moment, the Spirit of God was stirring in my heart. He was giving me a desire, and I was prompted, and I made that commitment, having no idea when or in what capacity I would do that. Fast forward to 2007, I get a job offer right out of college. I graduate, and I accept this job offer in Houston, Texas, to work as a structural engineer in the oil and gas industry. And so we moved to Houston. And I could not have asked for a better job right out of college. I'm 23 years old, and I'm in a new city, a new career, a new home, and on a new adventure with my wife who was pregnant at the time with our first daughter. But two and a half years into that, God started stirring something inside of me, started to stir a desire for something else. Uh, and I don't have time to go into all the details this morning, but long story short, God was not just calling me to 
give a year of my life to ministry, he was calling me to a lifetime of vocational ministry. And I share that story with you this morning because in that moment, I was afraid. I was very afraid. To be honest with you, church, I was, I was terrified. I mean, I was comfortable. I was secure. I had everything that I wanted right out of college. And so I'm asking God, like, what are you doing in my life right now? You're asking me to give up this and to raise my financial support? I was like, what? God, are you kidding me? Like, this doesn't make sense. And all these thoughts and these questions flooded my mind. Like, what about my family? How am I going to provide for them? This, this doesn't make sense. It's too risky. And City Light, I operated out of fear for months because to me, it was, it was too costly. And it didn't help that uh, even our family members were telling us, like, you guys are crazy for even thinking about doing this. Like, this is a horrible time. Horrible timing. The economy just crashed. This is not a good time to raise financial support. And do you think that helped with my fear and anxiety? No, not at all. It didn't help in the least bit. And uh, so initially, I was very just resistant to this call of God. I was afraid, and I was running away, and I was hiding from God's plan for my life. Now, eventually, I gave in, and I surrendered, knowing that I could trust God all along the way. And what we see in this passage in Matthew chapter 10 is the disciples uh, had every reason. They had every reason to be afraid. And the reason for that is Jesus was sending them out on mission for the first time without him. Um, And he was giving them instructions, much like a father would give uh, to his kids as he's sending them off to college. What he's doing is he's preparing them for the missionary task, primarily to go and make disciples of the whole world. And this uh, passage is especially relevant for us today because as followers of Jesus Christ, we too are sent out on mission to the world. Gavin said it last week that we are God's missionary team to the world. Church, that is what we are. Now, Matthew chapter 10 is broken up into five sections. And the first one is where Jesus calls and commissions his disciples. uh, And then uh, he um, gives them instructions for the missionary journey. And then he warns them of persecution to come. And and then he uh, encourages them not to fear And then finally, he reminds them that the benefits of discipleship outweigh the cost. So with our uh, limited amount of time this morning, I want to hone in on these last two sections where Jesus encourages his disciples not to live in fear. And then he reminds them that the cost of discipleship is absolutely worth it. So if you're taking notes this morning, I'd encourage you to write this down. The big idea for this morning is this. As followers of Jesus, we are sent— on mission in the face of opposition. And we're given instructions not to live in fear and to love God above all. That's the big idea this morning. The question we have to ask is, how do we do that? How do we live that out? How do we live fearless for Christ in the face of opposition and continue to do all that God calls us to do? Well, the first truth I want to drive home today is this. Number one, our fears are alleviated through, the, through Christ's assurance. Our fears are alleviated through Christ's assurance. And we're going to see this in verses 24 through 33. Earlier I said the disciples had every reason to be afraid. Okay, think about it for a minute. Put yourself in their shoes. You have just seen Jesus demonstrate authority. Uh, 
over the sick, to give sight to the blind. He is um, calming the storm and speaking with authority. So he's proven that he has authority both over the physical and the spiritual realm, that he has the power to heal and that he has the power to forgive sin. What Jesus has done is proven that he is the Messiah. And now he's sending you out on mission, this group of ordinary, uneducated men. So they had very valid reasons to be afraid. Two primary reasons they had to be afraid is, number one, Jesus was not going with them. He was sending them out, but he wasn't physically going to be by their side. And then number two, he told them in Matthew chapter 10, in verse 16, and he said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And you're going to face persecution. It's going to be stark persecution even to the point of death. Now, I don't know about you, but if it's me and I'm in that situation, I, I've got a deep pit and knot in my stomach because I'm wrestling with all kinds of fears and doubts and insecurities. It would be like going to the Super Bowl and you're at a player for the New England Patriots and right before the game, um, Tom Brady gathers the team around. He huddles them up and says, hey guys, I'm out. You guys got this. Like everybody would panic. Everybody would panic. And Jesus, knowing that the disciples were scared out of their minds, he emphasizes this, this command not to fear three times in verse 26, in verse 28, in verse 31. So what Jesus is doing, he's addressing their doubts and fears head on by giving the disciples assurance that they don't have to live in fear. So from our passage this morning, I want to show you four assurances that Jesus gives us to combat fear. Number one is that we belong to him. That we belong to him. Look at verses uh, 24 through 25. It says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beezable, how much more will they malign those of his household? So why is this reassuring? is the question. Because at first glance, it seemed like this is more of a reason to be afraid. But what Jesus is saying is, look, your goal should not be to become greater than me. Like, that shouldn't be the goal. The goal should to become like me. And becoming like Jesus, we actually share with him in his suffering. And he's telling the disciples, look, if they call me Beezable, like another word for that is Satan. If they're going to call me Satan and attack me, like how much more are they going to oppose those of my household. And I had to ask the question as I was reading this this week, like how is this encouraging? Like how does this bring assurance? Why does Jesus follow this statement in verse 26 by saying, so have no fear of them, which means therefore, which we know it's there for a reason, right? He just told them that they're gonna face persecution even to the point of death. They're gonna be maligned. Like, the logic of this doesn't make sense, but I want you to see why this is significant and why there actually is assurance in this passage because what Jesus is saying, he's saying, if you're my follower, if you are in my household, I am with you. You belong to me. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm the master of the house, and if you're with me, if you're in my household, you can know that, that I'm with you. I'm gonna be with you. And so City Light, the first way that that Jesus alleviates our fears is showing us that, that we belong to him. 
Like Jesus is always going to be with us to fight our battles. Every step that we take, every path that we're on, we can know with confidence that Jesus is with us. And that he indwells in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And he empowers us for mission to do what he's called us to do. So that's the first assurance that, that's the first assurance that Jesus gives. The second uh, assurance that Jesus gives is this. We get the honor to tell others what has been revealed. We get the honor to tell others what's been revealed. Look at verses 26 and 27. It says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Now, if you remember, there were these times where uh, Jesus healed people and he said, hey, don't go tell anybody. Like, don't spread the message. And there, there was a time of, of concealment. But now the time has come where everything is going to be revealed and the gospel is going to be preached to, to the whole world. That's what he's saying here. Everything is going to be revealed. Additionally, the secret plots to kill Jesus and to cover up his resurrection, those things are going to be revealed. So everything is going to be brought into the light. Everything is going to be exposed. And the disciples are going to have great confidence and courage to move forward with the mission that God had called them to do, primarily to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to proclaim and to tell of his glorious work, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Now remember what Jesus invited his disciples to in the first place. You go back to Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus said to his disciples, Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's the invitation Jesus gives. And in this chapter, Jesus is sending them out to do just that, to go and proclaim and to make disciples. And the timeless truth that applies for all of us today is that truth, that we are all called as Christians, as followers of Christ, to make disciples, to tell others. We see that in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what does Jesus do? He assures us that he is with us to the very end of the age. And so I just want to remind us, church, this morning that what a great privilege it is for us. Yes, we're going to face opposition, but what a great privilege it is for us that we get to serve Christ as God's chosen instruments to reveal Christ to the world. That is an incredible privilege that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. And that too should motivate us to keep on moving uh, toward the mission and, and, and facing our fears. See, we can share the message of the gospel with joy and tell others courageously, but often what happens is we are paralyzed by fear. We let fear tell us, hey, don't go share your story with your neighbor. Don't move toward the person next to you in the cubicle. So we can either operate out of faith and obedience to Christ, or we can succumb to fear. Which, what does fear do? It's, fear is a liar that tells us to, to stay comfortable, to, to hide away, to, to, to not move toward somebody else, but to really hide from others because it's not worth it. The, the cost is, is too great. It tells us to flee from the world. And it, but what does Jesus say? Does he say, hey, it, it's, it's too risky? Stay put. Stay comfortable. 
I just want you to have as much comfort as possible in this life. No, Jesus does not say that. He says, do not fear. Proclaim on the housetops. You look at the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus says, don't light a lamp and hide it under a basket. He says, shine it brightly for all to see. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. City light. We are God's missionary team to the world and we are sent out not to live in fear but to go and tell others of this message, to go and tell others about Jesus Christ. And we will, we will miss out on all that God has for us if we don't do that. So that's the second assurance Jesus gives. The third assurance that Jesus gives is this, we should fear God over man. We should fear God over man. Now the, the fear of man is common to man. You worry, you have anxiety, you don't do the things that you should do because you're so concerned about what other people think and how they're going to perceive you and how they're going to talk about you to other people. You lose sleep over it because you're so concerned and worried about what other people are thinking. And, and I've been there. I've had those nights where I'm so consumed and overanalyzing conversations and so worried about what other people are going to think and how they're going to perceive me. And I, I read this quote this week that says this, in our 20s and our 30s, we are so worried about what people think about us. And then when we reach our 40s and 50s, we start to learn not to be so worried and concerned about what people think about us. And then by the time we reach our 60s, we start to realize that people were not thinking of us at all. <laughs> but what Jesus is doing in this passage is, is he's trying to smash all the lies that fear is telling us. And to give us a greater perspective, an eternal perspective. He's saying, guys, listen, the only, thing that, like, the only thing that man can do to you is take away your physical body, but they cannot take away your soul. So stop being so concerned about what man could do to you and be concerned about the one who has authority over both the mind and the body. Look at verse 28. It says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So the question we all have to ask ourselves and consider is this. Do you want to have people say nice things about you now? Or do you want to have the king and kings, the king of kings and lord of lords, approve you at his coming? Because that's the only thing that's going to matter at the end, is how we live our lives for the ultimate audience of one, namely Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? So that's the third assurance that Jesus gives. The fourth assurance that Jesus gives, and I love this one, is that we have infinite value and worth. We have infinite value and worth. We have an incredible heavenly Father who deeply loves us and cares for us, and he knows every single detail about us. Let's read verses uh, 29 through 33. Again, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. 
my wife just started cosmetology school, and she's always wanted to do it. She's always been interested in doing hair, and I'm so proud of her. She started last fall. But we were sitting down this last week, and I was having this conversation with her, and I said, hey, you're learning about hair. Like, you probably know the answer to this question. And so I said, what is the average number of hairs on a person's head? And she's like, I should know the answer to that question, but I don't. I'm not really good with numbers. And so she, so she pulled out her phone and she said, hey, Siri, what is the average number of hairs on a person's head? And Siri said, the average number of hairs on a person's head is between 90,000 and 150,000 hairs. That's a lot of hairs. Now, the average goes down very significantly on just our pastoral team because half of them are bald, and I'm not going to name any names, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, but the point is, the point is this, that God knows every detail. He, he knows when two sparrows, two birds are going to fall to the ground, and they seem like meaningless creatures that are falling to the ground, and yet he knows. He knows how many hairs are on your head, how many freckles are on your body, how many blemishes you have, and what does that show us? It just shows us how valuable we are to God. So City Light, I want you to know that you are so much more valuable than our flock of birds. You have infinite value and worth. And Jesus is saying, for those who acknowledge me, I'm going to acknowledge before my Father in heaven, we have a good and loving and caring Father who is sovereignly ruling and reigning over our lives. And he loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to save us, to die for us. And to speak over us and invite us into his family. We matter to God. And church, I want to ask you this morning, how have you let fear hold you back in your life? You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are, uh, you're a sent one. You are part of this missionary team. And yes, there's going to be opposition. But I, I want to remind you this morning that you don't have to let fear dictate your life. To, to sink back, to, to, to shrink back. But you can live boldly for Christ. Don't let fear be the obstacle that keeps you from experiencing God's plan for your life, that keeps you from experiencing the joy and the promises and the blessing that Jesus wants you to experience. Maybe you need to switch careers because you know that God has gifted you and wired you, wired you in a different way, but you've been too afraid to take that step of faith. Maybe you're in an unhealthy, an ungodly relationship, but you've been too afraid to have that conversation to break it off. Maybe you feel, feel pressure from your parents to follow a certain course for your life, but you've been too afraid to speak the truth of what's really going on inside of you. And maybe you're a man here, and you've had a good and godly desire to get married, but you've let fear cripple you from initiating and actually pursuing a woman. And I, I want to slow down for a moment, and I want everybody in this room to go before God, and in your heart, and in your mind, just ask this question before God, what area of my life is fear keeping me from exercising faith? Just sit on that for a second. What area of my life is fear keeping me from exercising my faith? Now, when it comes to the mission of God and what he's called us to do and make disciples and, and go and, and tell others about this incredible news of Jesus Christ, to go to our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and our family and those that we're around, we can know that we can go with confidence and courage because Jesus assures us 
that he's with us. And so we see very clearly from this passage that our fears are alleviated through the assurance that Christ gives. And the greatest assurance that Christ gives is his love. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. And when our love for Jesus continues to grow more and more, our fears are driven out. And so the second uh, truth that I want to drive home today is this. Our, Our love for Christ must supersede everything. And now I, want, I do want to take a moment just to simply acknowledge that not everybody in this room has a love for Jesus like this. Like, I get that. Some of you are just here visiting today. Some of you are here because uh, you have a, a relative that's getting baptized and you want to celebrate that. I, whatever reason you're here today, no, I, I believe that you're here for a reason. And uh, for some of you, you've been coming to church for a long time, but the, your love for the world is winning in your life. So for the believer and the non-believer, what I want you to see from these verses in 34 through 39 is that Jesus gives us this invitation to find life in him. And yes, it is costly. Yes, it's going to affect our relationships. It's going to affect our relationships, even with uh, some of our closest family members. But I want to let you know that it's absolutely worth it. Because when we prioritize our lives around the person of Jesus Christ— when we put him first in our lives, that's when we experience a, f- a fulfilling life, the abundant life that the Bible talks about. See, like we're not here to, to play religious games. We're not. As Christians, we are called and sent on mission uh, for Christ. And the, the disciples were given very clear instructions, and those instructions apply, apply to us today. And so we can't just simply gloss over some of the harder teachings of Jesus. Because Jesus isn't just saying, hey, just give me a little bit of your life. Just give me this one little area, and that'll, that'll be fine. I want you to be happy and comfortable and all those things. So just give me a little bit. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. To follow Jesus means complete and total surrender to his will and to his way and a love for him that compares to no other. So let's jump uh, into our text, which likely left the original audience pretty uncomfortable. Like this actually would be a shocking statement for them to hear. Look at verses uh, 34 through 36. It says this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And you might be thinking, what? Like, I thought God was a God of peace. Like, why does he say this? At the end of chapter 11, Jesus gives us this incredible invitation to say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, that sounds incredibly peaceful. So what is this saying? What does this mean? And I want to let you know that God is a God of peace. He brings peace to our hearts because he's overcome sin and he's brought salvation to the world. But in this context, what he's saying is, look, not everybody is going to accept this message. And God brings us internal peace, but that doesn't mean there's an absence of external conflict. And the sword that Jesus brings is the message of the cross, And what a sword does is it cuts. 
It divides, it separates. And in this context, what it's saying is it's separating those who receive this message joyfully and those who reject it. Jesus is saying, hey, not everybody is going to buy into this message and it's going to create some problems. It's going to create some relational conflict. What Jesus isn't saying is that, hey, I've come to break down the family structure and to destroy your life. That's not what he's saying. He created the family structure to be good and God-honoring and beautiful. He created man and woman to be husband and wife and have the families be centered around him. And of course, that is God's ultimate desire is that the family would be unified around him. But often that is not the case because of our sinful nature and our fallen condition. When I was serving in college ministry at New Mexico State, I had a, uh, an intern that worked for me, and he had a remarkable story, incredible story. He was born in Somalia, and uh, at five years old, his family had to flee the country because of civil unrest and civil war. And so they were refugees, and they ended up in, in Minnesota, and he grew up Muslim, a very devout Muslim. And, um, but when he was a teenager, he got invited by a buddy on his track team to come to this uh, youth group. So he started attending this youth group, and um, then he got challenged in his, his beliefs and challenged to start reading the Gospels and the New Testament. And his friend's dad was a pastor, and he started meeting with him every week to talk about the claims uh, of Jesus. And he said he felt like, man, I felt like, I'm living, I felt like I was living a double life because I was going to mosque, I was reading the Quran, I was memorizing the Quran, I was praying to Mecca, but then on this side, I was going to youth group and I was going to this Christian church, and he's hiding this from his parents. But the good news of this story is that he, his life was changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He trusted in Jesus. He gave up a religion that was all about religious duty, and he trusted and accepted the free grace that Jesus Christ gives. And then he got baptized. And he's still hiding it from his parents. And he got a baptism certificate and he took it home. Well, one day his parents found the certificate and they confronted him on it. And unfortunately, they were infuriated. And they disowned him because he wouldn't denounce his love for Jesus Christ. And so what they did is they gave... They t- got his inheritance. They said, here you go. He's 18 years old. They kick him out of the house and they spat on his face. And that is an extreme story, but that is a real story. He understood what it meant to count the cost of following Jesus. And he took it very seriously. And he took very seriously the verses that I'm I'm about to read in verses 37 through 39. It says this, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, what this says is your love for Christ must surpass your love for any other human relationship on this earth. Like, your first love must be for Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of not loving others. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's a matter of prioritizing your love and keeping Jesus in his rightful place as king. 
And so I want to ask you a question. Where is the priority of your love today? Is it for yourself? Is it for the person sitting next to you? Is it for somebody else? My wife and I have been married for 13 years, and there have been seasons of our life where we have had to confess to each other that we have elevated our love for each other above our love for God. And it's crazy to think, but we've made each other idols. And it's very problematic. It doesn't work out very well because we're both sinners and we can never fulfill each other perfectly. That's why our love for Christ must, must supersede our love for even our closest family members because we fail each other. We disappoint each other. We make mistakes. But Jesus never failed. He never disappoints. He, he never changes And he's the only one in whom we can find life and meaning and joy and purpose in the abundant life that Jesus promised us. Additionally, verse 38 would have been a very shocking statement to the original audience because they knew very well what the cross represented. They were looking, they knew that the cross meant crucifixion. It it meant one-way travel to death. But City Light, the good news of this passage is that Jesus went to the cross for us so that we could joyfully take up our cross and find life in him. This is the first time that the cross is mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's very significant because what it does, it points us to the beauty of the cross that Jesus bore. Listen, our love for Christ should motivate us to gladly count the cost of discipleship just as God's love for us motivated him to send his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. Amen? See, the cross is a true picture of self-denial. It's saying, not my will be done, but thy will be done. When we die to ourselves for Jesus' sake, that's when we ultimately find life in him. See, that's the invitation Jesus gives and he calls us uh, into to live on mission for him. Uh, Going back to my story in Houston, I said I was afraid, and I really was. But I got to the point, God brought me to the point of just getting on my knees and getting to this point where I could just give it up for him. And it wasn't until I got to the point where I could get on my knees before God and say, God, my life is yours I am going to go where you want me to go. I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to say what you want me to say. I'm going to give what you want me to give. My life is yours. And it was only at that point where I started to experience this life that Jesus talked about. A life of meaning, a life of joy, a life of purpose. Because I had tried everything else and it left me empty. But now I know I'm on this adventure living for Christ and his mission. And I would ask you the question, where are you at today? Where are you at today on your journey? Maybe you've been paralyzed by fear and that's kept you from really living out your faith. But I want to let you know the good news is if you're still breathing, there's still hope for a life well lived. Like Jesus wants to use you and Jesus is in the business of redeeming lives right where they're at. See, like God wants to use you. He wants you to be part of this missionary team, living um, in the face of opposition without fear, facing your fears, and having a love for Christ 
that motivates you to be willing to give up everything for him. So I want to ask you this morning, would you take that step of faith that you need to take? Would you have that conversation that you know that you need to have? Would you share your story with your coworker? And would you get comfortable being uncomfortable? Would you step into a, a city group and into community and stop being afraid of people that actually want to love you and surround you? And would you share the gospel and shine as lights in this city? Would you no longer live to simply please yourself or to please man, but to please your creator, your savior, to live for Christ and for his kingdom? Today we, we get to celebrate baptism. And we're going to transition in time, time of baptism this morning. Today we get to celebrate that as men and women and children go public with their faith And just as verse 30 says, that um, they are acknowledging Jesus before men. That's what they're doing. They're making a public declaration that Jesus is Lord and Savior of their lives. They're being buried with Christ in his death and raised to, to new life. It's an outward sign of an inward reality of what Christ has already done in their hearts and in their lives. And the heavens are rejoicing and Jesus is singing over them and he's speaking words of affirmation before the Father. He's acknowledging them before the Father. And so may the Spirit of God use their example of faith to fuel our faith, to be willing to follow him, to go where he says go. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for your word and this invitation to find life in you. God, help us. We know that fear is real and we can be paralyzed. It can cripple us. But God, I just pray that through your power and your presence, through your Holy Spirit, that we would live with the assurance that you're with us. We can live with courage and confidence and boldness to to live on mission for your kingdom's cause, for your will, for your way. God, help us to, to move away from the desires of the world and the desires of our flesh and move toward what you want to do and accomplish in our lives. God, we know that the cost of following you is absolutely worth it because you promise us eternal life. You promise us the forgiveness of sins. You promise us to welcome us into your family. And God, we rejoice in that. God, I thank you for those that are going public with their faith this morning. Thank you for the testimonies that are going to be shared. And God, I just pray that you would stir in hearts this morning, that you would be magnified and glorified as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.